And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good Sunday afternoon and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. And today we're going to be meeting Marley Hornick and Harry Howry, and we're going to be talking about United Sovereign Americans. Uh, first of all, Marley started this group back in 2021. She started it to look at the anomalies in the state of New York in the election process. They had discrepancies in the vote count. They had voter rolls that didn't make any sense. They had a lot of anomalies in the election process. And she started this group to take a look at that. And in fact, it has now grown to be a group in I believe, and I'll have, we'll let her clarify, but I believe it's in more than 20 states now, and people all over the country are joining into this process to learn more about how to take our elections back, because there's no question about it, we have a problem. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. We have lost our right to a clear and open and fair election, and it's happened right in front of our very eyes. So with that said, uh, Marley, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. And I see that uh, Harry is on as well. Uh, uh, just a little bit about Harry before we start with you. Harry has, uh, he is the chairman of the board and uh, he wor worked with the design and uh, implementation of the Help America Vote Act back in 2002. Uh, he's worked with the U.S. military, Department of Homeland Security, uh, the intelligence community, and he's recognized as an expert on the lack of security in the uh, election system. He's actually submitted expert testimony uh, on several election challenges, including uh, one in 2020 to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. So we've got some real experts to talk about election interference. And with that, Marley, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today. It's there an honor go. to be here, and thank you. 
I want to start out by talking about what makes United Sovereign Americans unique and how we got to this place, because we're accustomed to having a dialogue in this country about election integrity. And election integrity is an important concept. Basically, uh, you know, in our country, um, our elections are like a precious jewel that protects our government by consent and our government by consent protects our individual sovereignty, our natural right as created beings to live in a direct relationship with our creator that the government doesn't have the authority to interfere with as long as we adhere to basic rules and allow others to have that relationship as well, right? We're not out and uh, taking that right away from others. So, so our elections are, are like a jewel and if you have a diamond in a museum, you're going to have a whole boundary around that diamond. You're going to have an extreme security system to make sure the diamond is there in the morning. You're going to have uh, humidity sensors, temperature sensors, noise sensors, laser beams, um, you know, slamming doors and security guards. You're going to have a whole network of security around that. And that's like the, the integrity of that system. The, the whole entire system is contained and bounded within that protective boundary. So the diamond is there in the morning. And the election system is just the same way. It is completely surrounded by an interwoven tapestry of state and federal laws. That represents the, the integrity of the system. All of the, all of the system is contained within that boundary. So that's election integrity. Election validity is about asking the question, if there are things inside that system that didn't get through because they complied with a law, because it's like you, you have this boundary. Well, how does anything get in? Well, there's all these doors all over the place. And each one of these doors guards against a certain kind of information. So if you have a registration application coming in for a potential voter, do they, the door is like the law. And the, and the door asks you, do you meet the standard? Are you, know, are you eligible? And if, you, if the answer is yes, based on the data, the door opens and in goes the registrant. Election validity is about measuring how much information has penetrated our election system that didn't meet the standard of the law and measuring the effect of that information on the outcome of elections. And that's really what makes United Sovereign Americans unique. And it's true. And when we started in New York, I kept calling, we, we all were calling this stuff anomalies. We said, wow, there's, you know, 1.4 million duplicate registrants, but the law says they shouldn't be there. These are some serious anomalies. It wasn't until Harry and I uh, met at the pit a uh, year and a half, I don't know, two years ago or something and, and started discussing this. We started to realize these aren't anomalies. These are potential crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's gone way beyond the part where it's a matter of credibility. Now it's a matter of criminality. Well, potentially, but you know, it doesn't really matter whether it was someone's ignorance or their, you know, they didn't understand the law and so they let the information in or they arrogantly assumed they had a better idea than the law or they are criminal and malicious. It doesn't matter at this point. What we need to do is get all of that information that doesn't belong in our election system out. And if it can't be removed, then we need to come up with another solution because it's unacceptable in the United States of America to have elections that the accuracy requirements aren't being met.
-hmm. It's unacceptable to have elections where you have millions of clearly in unqualified, ineligible registrations in the voter roll databases. We're, we, we've got this term, dirty voter rolls, that gets thrown around a lot. And it, it gives this implication, like in our minds, how do we process that? A dirty voter roll. Well, a dirty dish. What do you do when a dish is dirty? You take it to the sink, you scrub it off with hot water and soap, you rinse it, and you put it to dry. And now it's it's ready, right? You can't do that with a voter roll database. You can't hang it out to dry. It's not the same kind of a problem. So we have to change our thinking. Those registration records have to be taken out of the system. Mm -hmm. And if the voter rolls have become so corrupted that it's too difficult, then that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Well, we, we have an example of that in Montana. Uh, we, uh, our county central committee, uh, actually asked for the voter rolls for the county that we live in and two months ago, and we received this thing. Uh, and actually, out of uh, the thousands and thousands of names on it, only a handful were actually accurate in tying the, the person to the proper address. Uh, all the addresses were wrong, and it wasn't like they were wrong by being misaligned by one name or something that you know you would typically think happens with a computer. Maybe the name was off one digit from the addresses or something like that. It was just bizarre. And when we took it to the uh, the uh, uh, state uh, to find out exactly why these voter rolls were bad. Uh, they couldn't explain it, and so we ended up going back to the county, and uh, they gave us a new voter roll, and lo and behold, it wasn't even close to the one they had given us the first time. So there's a lot of things that we have to we have to find answers for, and we better do it quickly because there's no doubt about it. The 2024 elections are gonna make the 2020 elections look like uh, a clean deal by comparison because we haven't done much to clean up the national issues of voter rolls. Well, there, there's not a lot of uh, enthusiasm, frankly, among election officials to do that. And it sounds like you may have uh, hit upon a unique circumstance where you were operating in Montana uh, typically, the election officials are not transparent, they're not responsive, and they're frankly not interested in the findings of the American people. And I'm personally acquainted with hundreds of people across the country that have been working to bring findings to election officials, and they meet nothing but that brick wall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at United Sovereign Americans, we're basically at the point where we're compiling all of that, and we're, we have the question, which is, Okay, if you don't want to have this conversation and you don't want to clean the voter rolls, then explain to us how you certified this as accurate, because that looks like perjury mm -hmm. in regards to a federal election. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, um, I, I want to bring Harry into the discussion so that we, uh, we get his uh, perspective on this. But Harry, thank you for joining us. I know you're on a busy schedule. And I wanted to make sure that we tried to get you into the conversation because it looks like you worked with uh, Mike Lindell 
and that group in identifying some of the election uh, integrity anomalies, we'll call it for the time being, but uh, some of the things that happened uh, with uh, uh, the identification uh, by Mary Fanning and a number of others in the Kraken group, uh, identifying where election votes had been flipped from uh, foreign nationals from outside of the United States. I don't know if you've got any information on that, but I know if you were working with uh, Mike Lindell at all, you probably saw some of those things as well. So, so actually, we we didn't per se work with Mike Lindell. We, we my team actually worked primarily with Phil Klein in the Amistad project uh, in 2020. Uh, we have interfaced, of course, with Cause of America, which uh, Mike supports. Uh, we know several of the important people, uh, Sean Smith and Clay Farik, and and these people uh, are people we know. Um, we we mostly are a cyber forensic investigation firm. My partner and I uh, do investigations for the federal government, <laughs> mm -hmm. actually working for some of the people that are kind of uh, doubtful at the moment. But the but the fact of the matter is this: that the the there's ample evidence that the elections were uncertifiable. They just weren't valid. One of the things I brought to the election fight in 2020, and Marley and I probably spent, you know, thousands of hours talking about the ramifications, but the issue most people don't realize is that in the year 2000, when George Bush challenges the Gore election in Florida, in both Miami and, uh, you know, Broward County, um, the, the challenge wasn't really about who won. The challenge started with, uh, whether they were conducting the election properly. So in 2020, we had a we had a quite a messy situation. The RNC, for reasons not completely clear, wasn't uh, providing the normal legal support to the election question resolution process. Uh, in addition to that, we had a number of very high profile. I mean, I worked with uh, uh, the people that were basically at the Westin Hotel and Mandarin Oriental and and. Uh, and Trump Tower basically doing research. Uh, I got brought in basically because of, you know, the statistical issues and my experience with the National Security Agency gave me some insight on what might or might not have happened with the international ha hacking question. But I always urged everybody not to look at some endpoint conclusion but to force the fact that things needed to be investigated. And um, unfortunately, many of the lawsuits were oriented mostly uh, in 2020, mostly at over, overturning the election. But there are three basic process categories in elections. And this comes from my election experience, not the intelligence community. But the, but the first is the administrative process by which a candidate challenges the outcome of an election. This is completely administrative in principle. The election commissions have responsibility over the first stages. And if that doesn't come out okay, it can be taken to court after exhausting administrative privileges. The other two mechanisms are to challenge the law, whether it's legal in a particular state to, to, or the conduct under the law. 
whether it's legal in a particular state to conduct the election a certain way. Now, in Bush v. Gore, the the challenge was basically over the counting of dumpled ballots and hanging chads, and this was so it was an election conduct challenge. And so, um, what we've been talking about mostly, I mean, Marley started when she started New York Citizens Audit. Uh, they were finding well-documented uh, evidence of, and it's way more than anomalies, you know, patent irregularities and misconduct within the election system regarding who was being registered to vote, whether those people that were improperly registered were voting, uh, whether or not uh, they had even bothered to reconcile the number of people counted as having to voted to the number of votes they counted. I mean, in, in, in 2020 and 2022, both, uh, well, I mean, the, per, the biggest examples were New York and Pennsylvania had massive discrepancies between the vote count and the voter count. This is simply not okay. The system is built, HAVA is built, the National Voter Registration Act is, vo- is built to make sure that things are accurate. You can't count a vote if you haven't counted a voter. And so this this kind of nonsense is everywhere across the country. I mean, it, you know, again, we, uh, we were working, uh, my group was working with several groups, a group in Pennsylvania uh, that's pretty well recognized, part of the group that's challenging the legislative misconduct of the former governor and current governor, actually, the changes of election law without proper legal procedures. But the but the fact of the matter is that the numbers don't add up. And we have a right. I mean, we have a right. It's it's ensconced in the Constitution as to who can vote. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's put into legislation, starting with the Voter Rights Act of 1965, up through the uh, motor voter legislation, also called the National Voter Registration Act, up to you know, HAVA, the Help America Vote Act. Help America Vote Act was designed to be a mechanism by which they could replace the punch cards. And the punch cards came about because they wanted to replace the old voter booths that had counters and were losing all sorts of data. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't terribly good, but uh, and relatively easily uh, manipulated. So, so the fact of the matter is that we found these uh, what they want to call clerical errors, but these clerical errors are in the millions. And Marley mentioned that the that there's no excuse under the law. It was decided, most people don't know this history, but in the mid to late 1800s, there was a lot of mischief. I mean, people say we can trust our election officials. We passed all sorts of laws from 1865 to 1888 with lots of legis- you know legislative review in the Supreme Court completely overhauling the way that we conducted elections and and it was caused by cheating and so all this commentary in the mainstream media that we should trust the officials we never have trusted the officials it, the, Marley talks about this quite succinctly, but I'll throw it in there. Our system is called a zero trust system. If you're talking to a cybersecurity person, they'll immediately know what you're talking about. A zero trust system means one thing. I don't have to trust you and you don't have to trust me. The underpinning is that both sides get to observe everything. 
But now what we see is the officials are interfering with observation. We see it in 2020 when they're, you know, under the excuse or guise of COVID, locking people mm -hmm. out of the voting areas, putting them 50, 100 feet away from the desks they're supposed to be observing. Anybody that knows that if you're going to beat somebody at a shell game, you've got to be looking down at the shells at the table that's right underneath you. If they're performing a shell game with regard to the vote and you're 100 feet away, forget it. You're not going to have any idea what's really going on. So the observability requirement under the law was abrogated by uh, essentially election misconduct. And so we, we refer to another item on the list and we give this information out freely because we want people to understand the legal framework. Just because the challenges of the election did not win standing or adjudication that we think they should have, the fact of the matter is that the prosecution of election misconduct is completely different, has nothing to do with, with the administrative system. If you've broken the law, you've broken the law. We put people in prison for 50 illegal votes in their back seat. It happens all the time. But for some reason, we can have millions of variances in, in Pennsylvania, millions in New York, uh, hundreds of thousands in Maricopa County, and no one can figure out how to do a legal investigation. We even have evidence of na international penetration of our election system, which is not the reason we're on this call. But the but the fact of the matter is nobody is conducting the legal investigations that are necessary. And so when we talk about this, you know, we have three, as I said, three ways of challenging. The third way is when something is illegal or different between the U.S. Constitution, federal law, state law, or the conduct of the election under administrative law, you can, you can challenge the process or policies. This is not a policy argument. We're arguing about stuff that we have measured that is massively wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and not only is it massively wrong, the election officials everywhere are not doing anything when we put it, point it out to it. New York Citizens Audit's been telling the Board of Election about these problems for years, and, and nothing has happened. And so we referred it to, uh, I didn't refer it, Marley and the New York Citizens Audit team referred it to you know, the, the Board of Elections is an official complaint listing millions of variations from the law. Now, some of them were the ones you were talking about, you know, a letter out of place, you know, a different variation of the same name, these types of things. But many, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them are obvious duplicates. There are obvious errors in the system. The people are living at you know, uh, Burger Kings and vacant lots, and they don't put the apartment number on an apartment complex with 200 or 300 or 1,000 units. It's not legal. It's just not legal. They're supposed to verify this information. It's obvious that they're not under the law. So if you really want to understand the legal implications of their misconduct, and we would claim clearly that there's significant misconduct all across the country from California to New York. And, and it's not just in blue states either, it's red states too. We see mm -hmm. variations and anomalies in Missouri and Tennessee and Georgia and Texas. It just doesn't make any sense. And, and under COI, a Supreme Court decision in 1888, as Marley was mentioning before, 
It was decided that election officials, because they were agents of the federal government, essentially, under federal law, they had the affirmative obligation to A, know what the law was, B, they had to know that when they were registering or, or, or counting the vote and, and accepting ballots, that the, that the process was being done in a legally compliant fashion. Ignorance of the law or ignorance of the process or ignorance of the outcome was not considered an excuse. Just like when you sign your income tax form and you didn't make a reasonable effort to know whether or not what the income you were reporting was real, they will put you in jail or fine you or, or do whatever it is they need to do. But the fact of the matter is, unless, of course, you're, you know, ex-treasury official or vice president's right. son, right? But, right? but the fact of the matter is, well, now president, but that's <laughs> another question. But but the fact of the matter is, if you and I did this kind of thing, we would be in jail. So what was the result when, when New York Citizens Audit, you know, filed a complaint? Letitia James files a cease and desist order, essentially, uh, telling them to stop interfering with uh, election conduct and started a, a criminal really? investigation. Mm-hmm. Our response was to decide that this is essentially indicative that this, the State Board of Elections is choosing to fight with us instead of fixing their system. And so we file complaints with the with the state government, with the you know state police, and with the FBI. So mm-hmm. the fact is that do we expect them to do anything? Not necessarily. But people, if they really want to understand this problem, they need to get the eighth edition of the Federal Guide for the Prosecution of Election Crimes, uh, 2017. It explains the history of conducting. Uh, litigation, adjudication, you know, criminal prosecution of election fraud. And and people get all tied up. It's not fraud. It, you can't show intent. It's not the way election <laughs> fraud works. Election fraud is a defined term. It's not it's mm-hmm. not securities fraud. It's not financial fraud. It's not contractual fraud. It's election fraud. So just if you really want some light reading, and Mar- Marley's probably laughing her head off at the moment, but if you want to, if you want to cure your insomnia for a few days, read all the sections on election fraud, and you'll see that we have a long history of prosecuting not just perpetrators that are illegally harvesting ballots around the country or have fake ballots they're trying to inject into the system. We also prosecute officials that don't do the right thing. And so what we have right now are officials all over the country, and and. I, I I am not alleging crimes by any specific person, but I would ask everybody in this audience to just look at these sections of the federal penal codes and figure out whether or not they think anybody broke the law. And remember, they don't have to have intent to break the law. They have to just be malfeasant you know, in their office. Does it mean I want them all thrown in jail? Uh, no, not necessarily. I do want them to fix the system. I don't want this to happen again. The ones that have committed serious, intentful crimes, they do belong in jail. They, they certainly belong out of office. And the you know DOJ and the, the you know the FBI that are refusing to uh, investigate these crimes, it's just. I, I mean, I don't to tell you the truth. I don't know anything more important in our country than having fair, open, and honest elections mm-hmm. to elect our representatives to government. I mean, I, what what else is more important? 
I mean, that's our a, criminal That's what staff. defines our country, frankly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It's exactly what defines our whole system of government. Now, um, Marley, obviously COVID, uh, to me, looked like a very useful tool to really corrupt the uh, election system. And uh, certainly that's an area that uh, if, you know, I, I'm not certain that the whole COVID thing wasn't for the very sole purpose of corrupting the elections. That's a big subject. I don't want to go there because we don't have time to cover all of it. But that's the excuse that they used over and over and over again for completely disregarding the legislative mandates and the laws that were in place and allowing governors and election administrators to make changes that were not authorized by law. Isn't that a huge part of this? It's certainly one significant element. And there was just a lawsuit filed in Pennsylvania uh, by the Thomas More Society, Eric Cardall and his firm um, alleging just that and, uh, you know, taking a step in federal court towards holding those officials responsible and accountable for the fact that they breached the legislative process and they administered a federal election uh, without adherence to the law. Never mind just, you know, state law, but to the U.S. Constitution, mm -hmm. the, the, the overarching law of the land. Yeah, and, and the consequences. But that gets into this issue, you see, because when we talk about election integrity, well, everyone can tell that election had no integrity. But the question is, what is the measurement? And that's where United Sovereign Americans is taking a unique stance in actually measuring the quantity of data that's invalid under the law in each state system, measuring the number of votes uh, that are invalid under the law in each state's system system and then comparing that as a percentage to the federal accuracy requirement from the Help America Vote Act mm -hmm. so that we can say, hey, you know what, like I can say in New York and we can say in a number of states already, I can say in New York, the, the registration database at the time of certification of the 2022 election had a 14 percent error rate. The, the, the vote in the 2022 general election in New York had a 12% error rate. This is according to the state's own data. The data, the voter roll database that is recognized under federal law as the official record for the registration and participation of all qualified voters in that state. So, and this, this is required to be accurate by the National Voter Registration Act. So this is a big deal. The, a 12% voting error rate is, is very significant, and I'll tell you why. There was a federal race in New York State that had a 0.6% margin of victory. Mm -hmm. A system with a 12% error rate cannot give you a trustworthy reading on a 0.6% margin of victory. It's impossible. It's mathematically impossible. It can't be done. There's no reason that anyone has to trust that outcome. And in fact, the federal accuracy requirement is a maximum error rate of 0.0008%. Yeah. 
That way you can get an accurate and trustworthy reading at 0.6% because the system is so stringently accurate that no matter how tight the margin of victory, we can all have confidence and we should all have confidence. And that that is a requirement under the law, that confidence. And, and you know, the fact that we're able to actually follow the, an audit trail on every piece of information coming in and out of the system is another place where it's a requirement. We have to be able to not only trust the outcome, we have to, we have the right to verify the outcome because it's our country and the, United, the people in, of the United States of America are the sovereign. Well, we're not being overly restrictive in saying that uh, we have that right, because uh, ultimately uh, the, the American citizen is the ultimate sovereign. We are it, uh, we the people as it were. But um, the election in 2020, the general election uh, presidential election was decided by a few million votes and this was by, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just being realistic here. A, a, a former vice president that spent his entire uh, campaign in the basement of his house uh, in Delaware and did virtually no campaigning, and yet we saw Trump all over the country bringing in uh, anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand people to every one of his events, which were everywhere. And yet we're supposed to believe that uh, uh, Biden had that kind of power uh, to get a legitimate vote. Now I'm, I'm getting a little off. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't get too far off here, but at the same time, I know the numbers and the numbers, there was no way they could certify most of the states that they did with these narrow wins, like Georgia was, what, 14,000 votes. Uh, and yet the anomalies were across the board. Uh, like you say, they really weren't anomalies. They were illegalities. And they were everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Yeah, I think one of the challenges was uh not only the documentation, you know, because, uh, for example, you have all these people uh, reporting their election misconduct experiences on Facebook, for example, which doesn't turn out to be a very robust official procedure for letting the American people know that you've been gypped. In fact, you're supposed to, you know, create an, a notarized affidavit statement and submit that as an official report. So working on helping the American people understand, you know, where we went wrong and how to how to do a better job in 2024. That's one of our tasks at United Sovereign Americans. But again, um, measuring exactly, I, I guess it comes down to one of the things that Harry talks about a lot, which is the difference between challenging the outcome of an election. And he, he addressed this a little bit, challenging the outcome of an election and what an incredibly high burden of proof that is and how little time you have to gather sufficient evidence in a circumstance like that versus challenging the misconduct itself and potentially getting a ruling on the misconduct that changes the outcome. Uh, but attacking the misconduct first as as a civil rights issue. So if we're the sovereign of this country, that gives us not only the right, but it gives us the responsibility, frankly, of stewarding 
the system. And if the elections are not provable, and if the elections are not accurate, we're falling down on our responsibility, not only to ourselves, but to those who are still coming. I think about this all the time. The founders, you know, when they set this system into place, they didn't know us. <laughs> They didn't know Dan Happel and Harry Howery and Marley Hornick. They had no idea we would even exist, but they knew that someone was coming and they set up a system for us as well as for themselves. And we have that responsibility as well to the future. And I, I can't live, my conscience can't allow me to continue functioning in a way that would um, tolerate the possibility of tyranny for all those coming generations, I think about them. And that's what makes me wake up in the morning and, and be determined to solve these problems and, and uh, look at this horrific data, figure this stuff out. I didn't, you know, I, I'm not an expert. I didn't come into this as an expert, but I just, I love this world so much, Dan. I can't mm -hmm. stand it. I feel the same way. God bless you guys for having that sense of commitment because that's really what it's all about. It's not about us. It's about our children. It's about our grandchildren and the generations to come. And if we don't stand for it, up for our country now and do the right thing, uh, they won't have that opportunity. And even if they don't care, we should. We do. We're the ones that have the responsibility because we were the ones that got us and others got got this world into the mess we did. And part of the reason we did that was because we were asleep at the wheel. Harry, uh, I, I, I love the comments you were making about uh, exactly how to attack the illegality rather than uh, trying to look at the uh, end result. Find the pieces and and identify the pieces that are the problem, and then make that the focus of your work. And I think that's a legitimate way to do it. Do we have time to do that? So, so what New York Citizens Audit started, and and Marley and I talked about how to document this in a clear and succinct way, and and we basically came up with what we called the scorecard. The scorecard focuses on four principal issues. The first is whether the voter rolls are accurate. Second, whether or not voters voted that were not legally allowed to based on their registration status. Doesn't mean that they couldn't have voted if it had been corrected or that they had correct registration status. They had incorrect illegal registration status. Some of them are duplicates as an example. Um, you know, and so, so, and then the third issue is basically whether there's a voter to vote, um, reconciliation, because clearly the system is designed so that the number of voters and the number of votes counted are the same. If they don't reconcile closely, there's a big problem. And then the fourth area we're talking about is the HAVA requirement. And this has to be adjudicated to be clear, but the fact is that HAVA specifies an accuracy rate and no election in the country basically was meeting that accuracy rate. But the answer is not to ignore the law. The answer is to adjudicate it and figure out what the process is that will give us a, a sufficiently accurate result that we can be, uh, all of us, including the ones that lost, can believe that the person that, that has been 
elected as our representative or as our president as the person that was supposed to be elected. I mean, Marley hit it quickly, but, but you know, we used to talk all the time about if the margin of error is greater than the margin of victory, you have nonsense. You don't have an election, you have a chaos, right? And so somewhere along the line, the judiciary and the politicians and the bureaucrats all got together and said chaos is is more of a danger than putting the wrong person into office. And I think we're starting to see the effect of having the wrong person in office. So um, now it, it is a, a, a little bit of a challenge, right? So what we're trying to do is focus on specific areas of misconduct and malfeasance that need to be corrected. So we have a strategy of producing scorecards around the country. Um, we've got a lot that are done, a number that are done already. We we hope to have, you know, at least half of the state's uh, scorecards done by, uh, you know, by the time we're getting done filing our our challenges to elections. But our strategy is simple. We're going to intervene um, in federal court in a numerous number of states, pointing out the scorecard, the simple to understand violations of law, not talking about, you know, John Smith had six ballots in his back seat. What we're talking about is 100 John Smiths had 10 ballots in their back seat, and they all went through a system that should have been stopped by the election system. So what we're really focused on isn't the, you know, the small mom and pop fraudster out there. We're focused on an election system that simply doesn't seem to care anymore to have legitimate elections. Most people don't know what the word certification even means. They kind of have a loose understanding, but it's actually a legal word under the federal under federal law. It means that when you certify something that the certification is accurate and compliant. Our elections are not compliant, making certification fraudulent the way that you define election fraud. I'm not talking all those naysayers out there about, you know, the the intent issue that you have to prove with securities fraud or financial fraud or contractual fraud. You don't have to have that. What you have is a clear indicator out there that things weren't being done right. I'll give you an example just quite clearly. You have a bad address and it's clearly bad. And you can, you know, anybody reasonably verifying that address could have looked to find out that it doesn't meet the CAS requirement under the US Postal Service. In other words, it doesn't resolve to a real address. If it doesn't resolve to a real address, it shouldn't have been entered into the system. Just not legal. The the fact is, in the old days, when we used to not always be gerrymandering our words, we used to call those illegal ballots because they weren't legally acceptable to be counted. But now we now we just look the other way. We have hundreds of thousands of ballots that, under the law in a particular state, the worst situation was Pennsylvania in 2020, they get enjoined from being counted into the into the system, but but frankly, the the mechanism of adjudication wasn't the right approach. Again, uh, Eric Cardell, who I worked with during the 2020 election fight, I, I wish him well on that fight. Uh, I, I got to know him and his partner uh, fairly well. Uh, they were working at that time with the Thomas More Society as well. 
But the but the fact of the matter is this: we're focused on stopping obvious election misconduct and malfeasance. You need to check your voter rolls more often than once every 15 years, which seems to be, you know, the claimed accuracy. And they say you can't ever have accurate voter rolls. 14% of the people move every year. So what? <laughs> mm -hmm. prove, prove you have a new residence. You know, we can come up with a mechanism that tells you what the new residence is that's reasonably secure. And if you can't do that, you know, they figure out how to do this in unaddressed countries where no one, nobody has a legal address. They, they do an indelible purple stamp with their thumbprint on the ballot. At least you would have only one person, one illegal vote, right? You wouldn't accept anybody coming in with a purple thumb. Uh, you know, why do we have ballots that, that, you know, appear in sacks days after an election? How is it possible? Uh, you know, and people say, well, it's a big deal counting all these ballots. Well, the reason I got involved into HAVA was because we did check item processing for banks. It's possible to do 30 million checks a day at a large bank or 30 million items a day with zero errors, zero. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The idea that we can't keep track of our ballots says something is wrong with our ballot keeping track system. It doesn't mean that it's something that we can't solve. It's a completely ridiculous notion. Why are we putting ballots in the mail with no way of tracking them in the mail? Why are we doing that? Whoever came up with the idea that we we didn't have we didn't have to have secure ballots? Why is it that anybody can forge a ballot with a Xerox machine and still have it counted? You know what? Why does that happen? Why do we have a situation in Bethpage, New York, where they've have a reported uh, situation with fake ballots being transported to Pennsylvania. Now, does anybody know if they were really fake or not? No, but does anybody also know that Bill Barr personally suppressed that investigation? Does anybody, you know, people do know it. It was, in, you know, announced by people along the way. Does anybody know that there were a number of USPS employees that corroborated Jesse the truck driver's story? Well, I do because I was part of that investigation. But the fact of the matter is that 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 this kind of misconduct simply cannot be allowed. So you have to look at it in a tiered way. We have to make sure that the people get that get the key to get a ballot. That's the voter registration rules. That that those are accurate. Nobody gets a key, and nobody gets a ballot. And you can't you can't allow forged ballots into the system. So. You know, and, and Raffensperger and Georgia is already talking about it's too late to do all this tracking and get, you know, forgery proof ballots. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I know I know a hundred printers that could go to work tomorrow if if I told them I wanted high security paper. And, and the fact of the matter is you can even get high security paper that recognizes images on special scanners, you know, where watermarks show up and whatnot. So when you get the image. I'm not talking about a specific solution. I'm talking about the fact our current system is totally broken. No one should trust it. You can't prove who won in 2020. You can't prove who won in 2022. And, and if this keeps going, we're eventually going to completely lose our republic. Now, did some of the people that were chosen as, as having won, did they really win? Absolutely, they did. But can I prove that even? In many states, I can't. I, I don't know. You know, the, the thing is so badly broken, 
you know, and why do we allow chain of custody to be broken in an unobserved fashion? You know, this would never happen in a bank. You're going to open the the uh, post office box mail and nobody is observing what's happening. How many of those checks ends up, end up in somebody's back pocket? Right. You know, it's extremely easy to wash a check. It's also, ex unfortunately, extremely easy to wash a ballot. All I got to do is take a copy of one and fill it out and, and essentially stuff it in the system. The scanner can't tell the difference. So, it, you know serialization i mean there's a lot of controversy about this but you know random serialization with a guard code on the on the serial numbers or whatnot there, there's many different approaches to solving this problem you know uh, metallic or acrylic threads in the ballot fabric just like we do dollar bills it's or $20 bills. There's no reason you can't do this. So, so protect the entry point, protect the chain of custody along the whole path. Don't, don't allow the chain of custody ever to be broken. Uh, allow voters to be, you know, there are technical means to allow voters to verify that their vote was received and counted. Why aren't we providing that kind of capability today? It's perfectly doable. No problem with it at all. Um, the, you know, and then why are we, you know, HAVA calls for all auditable items to be maintained for 22 months after the election. Wouldn't you think that that infers that somebody has the right to audit the election? Yet we see in 2020 and 2022, all the election officials denying people the right to audit. Now, in all truthfulness, we didn't do a very good job as conservatives of making sure that the audits were done the way that a financial audit would be done or whether uh, a highly secure audit would be done to make sure that that the entire process was performed correctly. So we have, you know, a couple of dozen very, you know, not general, but, you know, very important recommendations. There are other groups working on recommendation lists. Um, we need to figure out how to get those those changes in front of federal judges and insist that our elections be run properly. The other thing that we have, which is, you know, essential is that we, we need to get this in place before 2024. So Marley and I are working to get uh, a number of lawsuits filed. They will start very soon. Uh, we, we are filing TROs against election commissions and against state executive officials from continuing the malfeasance and misconduct that they've been looking the other way at. So, and, and the reason we've done these simple approaches is that they, there's a concept under the law called black letter law. It's determined law, things that have been adjudicated or, in, or considered to be plain English interpretable by normal human beings. Black letter law uh, is theoretically self-adjudicating. So, the idea that you have massively inaccurate voter rolls is okay, is not okay. The idea that you have massive numbers of voters and vote discrepancies is not okay. The idea that you can't, you know, uh, enforce any kind of election accuracy rate is not okay. The fact that you've got duplicates that are voting, you've got weird anomalies. We'll use the anomaly word because no one can tell us what it is, but there are many. We have evidence of, of, and it's clear evidence that is even understandable by a judge that that 
that there are injections occurring in the voter rolls. Why, why are there automated systems injecting voter registrations? Why in New York and why in a dozen other states are they still editing the 2020 voter rolls? Most people don't know this, but hundreds of thousands of votes are being changed every day on the 2020 election as to who voted. Well, at a minimum, let's say they're just cleaning up the errors that they made, that someone actually did vote. Let's just assume that that's correct. Did they know that when they certified the election? No, yeah. they did not, mm-hmm. which means that they shouldn't have certified. The fact that they can clean it up now, you know, four years later almost, doesn't impress me that we had a clean or a reasonable system, you know, being used to decide who, in this case, was elected president. But but it's not just president, it's dog catcher in some mm-hmm. places. I mean, we're, we're seeing this stuff everywhere. Well, they flipped and, uh, the Senate, uh, Harry. Uh, uh, after the general election, they flipped the Senate by the uh, Ill, really illegal election that they did in Georgia in uh, in January. Now, there's all sorts of things wrong in Georgia. I don't, I don't even. It would take another four hours to talk about you know what Raffensperger and Stacey Abrams oh, did yeah. to Georgia. Yeah. But, well, we've got, uh, it's pretty obvious what you're talking about is uh, uh, exactly the way to approach it. Marley, I want to get back to you uh, and what you see happening, the states you're working with, how many, uh, where you're working and the things that you're doing, and then maybe we'll talk about uh, some of the uh, court issues as you're moving forward, how you uh, plan to move this through the system, because it is 2024. And, you know, it, the time is none too soon. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, we're working with uh, at least 23 states right now. I think we might be at 25 because we just had a couple of states join us. In fact, uh, some folks from New Jersey emailed me the other day and they said, we have our scorecard ready. What do we do now? And I said, well, why don't you come volunteer with United Sovereign Americans so we can work together? <laughs> but they were so determined that they uh, created a scorecard based off of the United Sovereign Americans template. And uh, they just did it on their own and emailed me, hey, we're ready for litigation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we have at least 23 states creating these scorecards The scorecards, like Harry said, they answer the four basic questions. Uh, Were the voter rolls accurate, which is required by the National Voter Registration Act? And if the voter rolls are not accurate, that's an indication, according to the Department of Justice, that there may have been election fraud. That's not dirty rolls. That's potential crimes. So, uh, you know, across the four states that we have uh, completed scorecards for, that's Uh, New York, Illinois, Texas, and Ohio, we've uncovered over 11 million unique registrations that have uh, inexplicable errors to their registration status. So for example, in New York, we have one and a half million registered voters who are purged which is also known as canceled in some states, they cannot get a ballot under any circumstance and they have no purge date. Why does that matter? Well, the main reason it matters is because the law says they have to have a purge date. 
and you have one and a half million circumstances where the registrars have failed to enter a purge date at all. Why is it material? The reason the purge date is important is because if those registrants have any votes in their voter history, no one alive, not even the, the top commissioner of the Board of Elections in New York State can tell you whether those votes happened before the register registration was purged, which makes them legal votes, or after, which makes them illegal votes. And there you have one and a half million records that don't meet a clear and easy to understand standard of the law. And they have many votes assigned to them. In fact, they have um, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands that voted in the 2022 election, even though they're purged, which doesn't make any sense at all. You have, uh, I think, something like 2.6 million registrants in Illinois who were registered after they voted. So their voter history really? says they voted, you know, in this particular election, but they, according to the state's own data, the official data, they were not registered to vote yet at the time of that election. They didn't register for a year later or more. You know, I just was looking at some data in New York. You got, we have these really bizarre, bizarre circumstances. You have people, for example, born in 1930, registered to vote in 1917 and voted in the 2022 election. Born in 1920, registered to vote in 1850, voted in the 2022 election. This is junk, garbage data. Mm -hmm. And no one has to trust an election based on garbage data. As they say, garbage in, garbage out. So that's the first question on the scorecard. Now you have the second question. Were the votes counted from eligible citizen voters as required under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which actually tells us not only what constitutes a citizen, but in Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, we discover that if a state is found to have denied or abridged in any way the votes of eligible qualified citizen voters of its state, not only is that considered a no-no, the punishments are very severe. Mm -hmm. Actually, the state loses apportionment in proportion to the number of voters that have been gypped. So you lose uh, federal funding, you lose congressional representation, and you lose electoral college votes, depending on the number or the percentage of your population that has been disenfranchised in these ways. And uh, we're looking at, you know, the mass disenfranchisement of the entire eligible citizen population of, of, of New York or of Illinois or Texas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, did they vote? That's the question. And the answer is yes. And we've uncovered, again, over two million circumstances that appear to be voting violations. They appear, based on the data provided by the state, to be illegal votes. And again, the state isn't allowed to maintain these records in an unkempt, disheveled, garbage state. They're required to be accurate. Mm -hmm. So if these records actually do meet the standard of the law or the registrants meet the standard of the law, how come the records don't reflect that? It's, it's, there's really no way out of this for these officials who have the affirmative duty of doing, you know, doing the work for the American people.
You have this zero trust system, right? Like Harry said, you, you know, no one has to trust each other. So how is it that we come to trust the outcome of an election? You have natural adversaries, one candidate versus another, and they want the same thing. So it's like the, the reason that we, we trust it in the end is because the election official walks a tightrope between these two adversaries. They are absolutely unwaveringly faithful to that law, the, the, to the line drawn by the law. They never waver. If they waver, if they step off that tightrope, that's it. Nobody has to trust the outcome. That's what COI is about. That's what that. That's why election fraud is different than other kinds of fraud. If you don't follow the law in a federal election, the assumption is fraud. Mm -hmm. Because why else wouldn't you follow the law if you're if you're there to uphold the civil rights of the American people? Why would you waver? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Let let, uh, let me ask you this. You, you've gone through and you started in New York and you, you're now working in other states. You said there are four that you've done a pretty much a full reconciliation of yep. uh, the air through scorecard. Incidentally, I don't know if both of you, are you familiar with a project called Hammer and Scorecard that uh, Dennis Montgomery created for the CIA? that uh, actually allowed the United States to manipulate elections in foreign countries. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, Barack Obama apparently in 2000, uh, for the 2012 election, put that uh, program in play in the United States. Um, so obviously there might be a, a history here. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, Marley. Uh, let, let's talk about the 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 various uh, things that you've put in place in New York, and then how we can make this uh, this program work all over the country. Sure. Well, actually, the measurement is the most important part, and the second most important part is to empower the American people to understand the measurement and represent the measurement because it's we really have to stop ranting and being angry and making accusations based on our assumptions. We have to work off credible and valid results, and we have to bring that to our officials. Uh, that's what brings elevates this conversation, includes all Americans in the conversation, regardless of their perspective about who may or may not have won and demonstrates that you know when we have invalid elections it harms everyone and and there is no american citizen who is not affected when election results that are improper get certified as accurate so that's really the main thing so in new york what we've worked on for about a year now cuz we've done everything in our power to tell you the truth dan to bring our findings to officials. And that included before the 2022 election. New York Citizens Audit in May of 2022 um, brought a petition uh, pursuant to the US Constitution First Amendment for redress of grievances. And that petition contained all of the numbers that we had uncovered from the New York State Voter Roll Database 
regarding the 2020 election outcome. It included uh, millions of uh, apparently illegal registrations, seriously concerning findings. For example, we found 250,000 or 254,000 unique voters in the New York City voter roll database, which is supposed to be real time updated with the state voter rolls. These 254,000 unique people with a unique statewide identifier, which is supposed to correlate from the city database to the state database, in the New York City voter rolls, they have a vote counted for 2020. And in the state voter roll database, that vote is gone. That means it wasn't counted, actually, because the state voter roll database constitutes the official record. So the final tally doesn't include 254,000 unique people in New York City who cast votes. That's unconscionable. Mm-hmm. So this was all inside of our petition for redress of grievance, which we brought on May 9th. We brought it to the Attorney General of New York State. We brought it to the Secretary of State. We brought it to the State Boards of Elections, all of the commissioners of the State Board of Elections. We brought it to the head of the Republican Party in New York and the head of the Democrat Party in New York. Then we brought it to those uh, officials in 29 counties. We brought it to the boards of elections in 29 counties, to the the DAs, the sheriffs. Um, All of these people got a copy of that petition. And you want to know how many of them responded? Zero. I believe it. And they went ahead and administered another federal election using the system we had brought with 5,000 wet signatures from New York state residents saying we want this answered for, they went ahead and did it again. And they certified that election as accurate also. Hmm. And so now what New York citizens audit is up to um, is is going town by town because we've had it with trying to go to the state. We've had it with trying to go to the counties. We go town by town and the the incredible uh, volunteer army of New York citizens added over 2000 people who've contributed to this project since August of 2021. They have gone to over 300 towns in New York state and presented our resolution for an audit. Just the most innocuous, reasonable thing you could ask for considering what we found in the state voter roll database. And we have over 77 towns that have signed on and said, yes, we agree. This needs to happen. And it's pretty, it's, it's been a really challenging process, but we've learned a lot and it gives so many American citizens in this case in New York, but now we have resolution teams operating in Illinois. We have them launching in Texas. We have them launching in Ohio because it gives everybody the opportunity to say, this is really reasonable work. This is the official state voter rolls. This is their data and this is their law and it doesn't match up. And and the way that it doesn't match up is really huge. It's so significant. And so people all over the country are getting involved and bringing this information to town officials, to county officials, to sheriffs, mayors, Uh, state representatives, federal representatives, all over the country, people are starting to do this where the scorecards are done and these documents are ready. It gives everybody a way to to reasonably show that the system is broken. And you don't have to be an expert to see it. 
the way that we've asked these, it's like, okay, were the voter rolls accurate? No, they were wildly inaccurate. Did the votes come from eligible voters? No, they did not provably all come from eligible voters. And the Supreme Court said in, in 1964, dilution of the vote is an equal disenfranchisement to denial of the vote. So it's a civil rights issue. It's a civil rights crisis, frankly. And then you have this issue with the deficit. You know, did the number of votes counted equal the number of voters who voted? We haven't found a state yet where it did. And I'll tell you, you know, something that people don't expect from our findings in the state of Ohio, the 2022 election was certified on December 10th, 2022. Our, our researchers in Ohio pulled the state database on December 11th. 2022. So you would think this thing is going to be accurate. It's going to be all reconciled and everything's hunky dory because if they certified that election, they had to be certain, right? The voter deficit on December 11th, 2022 is over a million more votes counted than voters who voted. The reason being, get this, in Ohio, the county election officials are allowed to keep updating the rolls for 20 days after certification, oh, what industry? What industry accepts this kind of ridiculous process? It's unacceptable. And here it is: the most important thing our country does, and it's handled like we're in nursery school. You know, like we can't figure out A to B, how to get from A to B. Is, is that um, is that in law in Ohio, or is that just something that they did? We we have states we have states all over the country that allow the resolution of data for months, if not a year, after the election. It reminds me a little bit of Pelosi telling us on the yeah. Obamacare issue that you have to vote on the election before you get to see whether or not the election was real. This is the situation that we're actually in, that we that nobody feels obliged to have reconciled provable data on the day that the certification occurs. Now, if they had real systems and they had real intent, they would know. I, I guarantee you at the end of the day, every bank that processes millions or tens of millions or even a hundred million different transactions a day, know on an hourly basis what the reconciliation is between the received information and the outgoing information. It's just not even possible with modern systems to have this kind of nonsense going on. But the fact of the matter is they don't care. And, and you know, I believe, I think most people believe that there's a lot of malicious intent hidden behind uh, the apathy and arrogance. So, I mean, we talk about it all the time. It doesn't matter whether it's ignorance, malice, or arrogance. It just doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is that the law says it's supposed to be correct. Financial institutions do this all the time. They know how to get audited. They have outside auditors. They don't audit themselves. They don't decide how the audit's going to be run. Oh, I don't want you to look at those accounts payable, you know, situations. I, I want you just to, you know, count over there in the cash balance drawer. That's what the election officials are doing everywhere across the country. Not everywhere, many places across the country. Don't look behind the green curtain, I think uh, a certain Wizard of Oz said <laughs> once a long time ago.
Yeah, exactly. Well, so so what are we doing? Letting election that, officials. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to talk. No, no. no. I I Have just want to ask this question because it it uh, it looms so large between both of you. Uh, have you found an actual election that was 100% accurate according to uh, your, your investigations? Statewide yeah, or on a county-by-county county basis? Well, let's say on a county-by-county. County. Let's just see. Are there some we have, that are We have found doing? some counties that figure out, even though they're small operations, how to be completely accurate. Well, usually the small ones are the best ones. You know, we say that all the time, but you understand that any kind of systematized process should be more accurate at volume, not at low volume. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. it's the way. Uh, what what we have computer, is at high volume, right. more sloppy and more illegal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just, it's bizarre. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to, but I had to ask that question because. It it almost from the information you're giving me now, it's telling me that uh, we really don't have anywhere in this country, other than maybe in a very small, isolated way, where we have accurate elections anymore. Anymore is a good caveat. I don't know if there ever were, because what we're Uncovering as well in this process is the complete resistance on the part of either of the major political parties to deal with this at all. So there's a, yeah. that opens, uh, a, frankly, a, a warranted suspicion that both parties are benefiting from this somehow. And nobody really wants the will of the American people to determine our representation. Well, I think that's a cl clearly true because uh, we talk about it all the time. We've got a uniparty, and the uniparty that we have are uh, both sides, they're progressive socialists, but they are a uniparty that uh, is there to, to promote an establishment system that they created. And, and I think Quite frankly, that's the reason that uh, there was so much resistance to Donald Trump is that he's the first truly populist president to get elected in a very, very, very long time. So you have a basic issue, though. We have to be careful here. There are plenty of honest Democrats, honest liberals, honest conservatives, honest middle-of-the-road mm -hmm. people. The problem is the people that control the systems simply don't care to have accurate elections. So, so whether it's complete malfeasance or, or apathy around the edges because they have a good job, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we as citizens of the United States have a right to expect honest, open, and fair elections, period. And, and we say all the time, we're not a partisan organization. I mean, most of us, because we saw what happened in 2020, I would say the majority of, of our members are conservative, but that isn't our message. Give me a fair election. Right. You know, right. Give, give, me a, give me a system that's going to accurately determine whether you have a right to vote. And then if you do vote, accurately count the vote. And, and we talk all, of, all the time about what it's worth. You know, the, the, 
The people that control this government have control over the purse strings of trillions and trillions of dollars. And if you don't think this is part of the motivation for looking the other way, the motivation for corruption, and I'm not saying everybody's corrupt, that's not the point. The point is it doesn't take everybody to mess up the parties, right? And it's not, I don't believe it's an accident that they've engineered that the that the majorities will always be very slim. Why is that? It's because if anybody steps out of line, it destroys the integrity of the party position, right? So then then the message gets extremely strong that you're not your own representative. You know, every every house member is supposed to represent their citizens. How, when, when's the last time you heard of a caucus going out after the official party positions on either side? It just doesn't, you know, with true bipartisan participation. I mean, it used to happen all the time in the 60s and 70s. You don't hear about it now at all. It, you know, the the Democrats run a really tight shop and the and the Republicans, I don't know what they do exactly. But, but <laughs> yeah. They don't either. Chaos and, and and misdirection on the Republican side more than yeah. and and you're right. I mean Trump was a visceral existential threat to them. And again, I'm not advocating the Trump presidency per se. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying let's have fair, open and honest elections. We're paying hundreds of millions of dollars for election infrastructure for every election. We're, we're donating billions of dollars on both sides, billions and billions. And, and who gets to decide who wins? It shouldn't be an election official that decides, well, I don't have time enough to correct those errors, I'm just going to certify. Or a secretary of state that calls up a county official and says, if you don't certify this tonight, we're going to put you in jail. I mean, this is not okay. The official that's in charge of that county vote was not the secretary of state. It was the county official. If they're, if they're guilty of misconduct, adjudicate it. You know, that's, right. that's what we're advocating. The people that are doing something wrong need to be investigated and they need to, the issue needs to be adjudicated. If that's a fine, if that's expulsion from the government, if that's spending time in prison, I don't care. It's not, it's not, it's not the issue. What the issue is if, and if we don't take back 2024, you know, how, how much longer do you think we can have elections that everybody is unsettled about? You know, a very large percentage of Democrats believe something was wrong with 2020. We've done a number of programs on January 6th. That was the impetus of the January 6th, uh, 2021, so-called insurrection at the Capitol. It wasn't an insurrection. It was, it was a demand for accountability. And lo and behold, because of the insurrection, they ended up actually not going through with the uh, the Senate and the House uh, reconciliation of the the uh, mismanagement in the issues that were involved in the election. Uh, January 6, 2021 was not an insurrection. It was a demand for the rights to hear a redress of grievance about the whole election process. So certainly, you know, we're, we're trying to avoid some of these controversies, to tell mm -hmm. you the truth, because they, they, they devolve into 
you know, partisan bickering and, and whatnot. What, what I, what I recommend to people is, is you have to have a clear line. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, get angry at a result. They, they have confirmation bias directing them to, you know, be vulnerable to believing one thing or another. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking, I, I know several J six defendants personally, and I know that all of them got a raw deal uh, in in weaponized prosecution. This is my belief, but that's not what we're about. We're about right. this right. would have never happened if we had had a fair, open, and honest election. Yeah, it would have never happened if Bill Barr had decided that we weren't going to investigate Beth Page, New York. It would have never happened if GBI hadn't been running an illegal multi-state. Uh, ballot harvesting system for years. I mean, this is not okay. And, and, you know, these things just seem to keep going away. And we've got, you know, we've got indications of significant problems. We see this all the time, these settlement offers. You know, we, we see a settlement offer, you know, or settlement situation between Raffensperger and, and Stacey Abrams that, that somehow overrides the law of the state of Georgia. Are you kidding? I, where, where did a secretary of state ever get the authority to write a settlement agreement that wasn't in that wasn't according to the law of the state that wasn't endorsed as a legal action or a requirement? You know, submitting a settlement that's been agreed to and getting a judge to rubber stamp it. This is not this is not due process. It's you know, they're, they're supposed to defend the law. That's their job. The attorney general of, of, of Georgia should have been defending the law. The secretary of state should have never had any right at all to negotiate the settlement that eventually is determined to be a bogus settlement to begin with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and then we see, but this is the problem with adjudication, just to go back to the original principle. The elections were designed to be clean. The system is complicated. There's a lot of details. There's many steps to it. It was designed to be clean. If it isn't clean, we can't adjudicate. So do you understand what that means? If we put a system into place that we can't challenge under the law without being accused of being seditionists, what is going on? It takes three to four years to adjudicate something that has tremendous pressure in the in the federal court system to be adjudicated, three to four years, which means any representative falsely elected, their term is expired by the time they could get satisfaction in court. A president, look at us now. I mean, mm -hmm. we're just now starting to see the evidence that real is real evidence. And this, and Marley and I talk about this all the time. We're dealing with evidence. <laughs> I mean, this is why we're talking about black letter law and we're talking about using their own data. This is not evidence that we concocted. It's not evidence that we sent private investigators out for. It's evidence that the State Board of Elections sent to us. And it says that something's wrong and it should have never been certified. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have elections that are fair, open and honest from the very beginning, from the day that they open to the day that they close, We've got nothing. We cannot adjudicate in our court system anything on a timely basis. It's meaningful. There's a famous case by the Green Party. Jill Stein in Michigan wins. She wins on the, I think it was the, and the people will yell at me, setting me correct on this, but it was like the third or the fifth year, and she was running for a house race. She's on the Green Party, right? I'm not 
I'm, I am not a Green Party advocate, but the fact of the matter is their term was completely over. They had they they said it's moot. You win, you're right. They did something illegal, but there's nothing we can do about it now. Well, actually, there is. The whole election cadre that did that mm-hmm. should have been put in jail. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and the decisions that had been signed off by an imposter who was not selected by the will of the people should have That's been right. nullified because that did not represent the desire of the American people in that jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Nullification under nullification under error of process is a, I mean, this because is it, what fraud ab initio is. It's it's a it, you can't. You can't benefit from the fruits of the poison tree. That's the the legal theory that everybody hears all the time. Well, the fact of the matter is, whether we trust our election or not, it wasn't run properly in 2020. It wasn't run properly in 2022. We've got pretty strong evidence that it hasn't been run properly for quite a long time. But now that we have all these magic invisible systems that nobody can can audit, nobody can control and whatnot, it seems to be getting worse mm-hmm. in every major election. We need to stop it. We intend to do everything we can to throw you know, sawdust or sand in their gears and sugar in their gas tank. We, we need to stop it. Our, our litigation design is designed to stop it. I want to I want to actually talk about one element of that process, because one of the things we haven't discussed regarding our litigation process is that when you have sought a rem when you when you sought a remedy in advance of the election, that gives you standing in the um, in the shadow of the election. Right. So if the election ends up not being administered according to the law, if it's provably inaccurate and provably noncompliant once again, the TRO strategy that United Sovereign Americans is using, first of all, uh, we expect and anticipate and, and strongly hope to have success stopping the administration of some of these really horrid uh, voting systems, stopping them from being used to administer the election as they are. If they can be compliant, great, use them. But if mm-hmm. they cannot achieve compliance in advance of the election, then they simply can't be used. And then if they are used, there is a significant potential under federal law. Now, the, the judiciary doesn't have the authority. Federal judiciary does not have the authority to uh, kind of muck around in the administrative process of the states for the elections, right? Because that's covered under Article One, Section 4. That's the, that's the domain of the state legislature, like you were bringing up right at the beginning of our conversation, Dan. So... A federal judge can't really go in and say, well, you screwed up this process and that process and the other process, but they can go in and say, uh, it looks like this federal election was administered in a way that doesn't meet our qualifications. And so we give you an F and you have to go back and do this again. You have to start over. You have Mm -hmm. to re-administer the election. And there is actually precedent for that to happen in a circumstance where um, a couple of things have been established. First of all, it's established that there has been a civil rights abridgment in the past. Second of all, that claim was raised in advance of the administration of the election in question. And third of all, there's good reason to believe that the civil rights abridgment has continued on that basis. 
And so one of the things we're looking forward to establishing, even if we don't get that much sand in their gears, not that I'm anticipating, I, I really believe this is going to work because what are they going to say? How are they going to refute their own data and their own law? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you refute that? Mm-hmm. However, worst case They scenario, do it though. Remember, remember that feeling you had on November 4th, 2020 and November 5th and then November 12th, 2020, November, remember Thanksgiving, 2020, all those days. And we were sitting there thinking how, who, who's going to fix this? Somebody's got to fix this. This is crazy. Who's going to, this has got to get fixed. We can't live like this for four years. Well, here we are three years later and we did right. Mm -hmm. Because nobody had standing. Well, that's going to be resolved. I'm, I personally am not going to go through that again. One time was enough for me. <laughs> me too. Well, um, I'm, let, let's just say, is Montana one of the states that uh, that you have the scorecard going on? It sure is. Yep. Okay, good, good. Well, let's pick a state that nobody uh, has contacted you yet. And let's say somebody contacts you and they say, okay, how do we start this process? Where do we go? How do we start it? And and how do we get this done uh, quick enough that we can make a difference? Uh, can you kind of walk us through that? Yes, you go to uniteforfreedom.com, unite4freedom.com. You hit volunteer. You fill out the form and you say, I'm from Louisiana where we have great federal judges and I would really like to fill out a scorecard. And I hear you don't have anybody in yet from Louisiana, but you'd really like to file in our circuit and you'd really like to file in our state. So I'm here and I'm ready to do that. And they're going to get a copy of the state voter roll database. However, that happens in the state or they're going to get a hold of whatever data they can get a hold of. And if the state is not willing to provide the state voter roll database, let them defend that in court. Let us bring the data that we were able to get a hold of and say, this is how horrid and inaccurate this election was in 2022. And if you don't like the data we use, then give us the right data. Give us the data that is accurate. Go ahead. We dare you, (laughs) Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So they're going to get that information. They're going to join our data team, which is an extraordinary and awesome group of American patriots who work so hard. I can't tell you, everybody in in United Sovereign Americans is a volunteer, including me and Harry. We're all doing this for love of country and uh, for love of God's creation. And people in that data team, in the analyst team, in the state chapter directors team, these folks are working around the clock to uh, resolve the issues in the state data, to churn out these scorecards and to build the messaging teams by state, the folks that wanna help get this information out to officials, get it to their neighbors, get it to their school boards, their churches, wherever it needs to go. Uh, all of these people are going to be working together to get this done. So you're going to, those, those folks from Louisiana are going to come in. They're going to join the data team. They're going to get a ton of help. They're going to have, uh, as soon as they walk in the door, they're going to have more SQL queries landing on their head than they know how to implement at one time and more people giving them advice and ideas and suggestions and, and hammering the work, throwing it against the wall and seeing if it breaks apart or seeing if it comes out whole, you know, like that. And it's, that's how we start the process. 
And okay. I saw I saw the note about John Dayrash. He's the one, he's a good friend of mine, actually. He's a good gentleman. Oh, really? mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Well, um, in Louisiana, let let's talk about the states that haven't signed up. Do you have a list of the states who have uh, signed up and the ones that haven't? Because I think all of our listeners, we've got a wide audience and they cover a lot of area. We, we could uh, at least uh, some of the people who are listening now would maybe contact people in their state to see if they can help to organize this group. Uh, to, to work with uh, UniteForFreedom.com and get the information out there. Yeah, well, we welcome everybody to come through the door. Uh, I think the most important thing to do is to sign up to volunteer and, and let us know that you want to help to organize a state or that you're willing to work that many hours because it is a lot of hours. It's hard work. I cannot lie to you coming in and participating at United Sovereign Americans. If you want to work in an organizational role, be prepared for me to come down <laughs> and make sure you're getting stuff done. <laughs> well, that's good. We have a country to save. Yeah. It's not a joke. Yeah, we have to take ourselves seriously. You got to get used to not knowing what you're going to do on a Sunday afternoon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we refer to this program as we are the intellectuals uh, alternative to the NFL. <laughs> so I, I prefer to use that <laughs> because frankly, this is what we ought to be doing instead of uh, sitting in front of a TV with a beard, potato chips, watching professional sports. We, we need to be involved and this is where we get involved. So uh, Ted, tell me, uh, Marley, what's the, um, do you want me to read you the list of states we have? Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to find out who is missing, because you said Louisiana. Do you have people in Louisiana? No, but don't they have such I, great judges down there? They love got to some, file there. They've got some really good people, and some of them are friends of mine, and I'm going to contact them after the show and ask them to uh, uh, get back in touch with you. So. Okay, I'm going to read you the states we have that okay. are definitely right now building scorecards. Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Missouri, Montana, North Carolina, New Jersey, Nevada, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. How awesome is that, right? Well, that is good, but uh, I, I see North Dakota missing. I see Nebraska missing. Well, North uh, Dakota doesn't have a voter roll database, so actually, with all respect for North Dakota, they're going to have a hard time getting into our template because they simply don't have voter rolls there. They have a totally different kind of a system. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, if they do, this is a good uh, chance for them to uh, make sure that the system they have is working, right? Absolutely. Good way to look at it. Well, um, I okay, so uh, New Mexico is missing from that list. Uh, you've got, obviously, Texas, but uh, Oklahoma I didn't hear on that list. Um, we've got, we've got with this program, we've got friends all over the world, but certainly all over the country. Wyoming, I didn't hear on that list. I didn't hear. Or Washington. 
Well, yeah, or Washington, who uh, Thumper happens, <laughs> Thumper happens to be the guy that you need to be talking to about that. Uh, so there you go, buddy. You got your chance. This is it. <laughs> I had enough of politics when I was working the Culp campaign. That well, was yeah. It was obscene, but the fact that you've got such a screwed up system there, I know there's going to be volunteers that'll jump on that one, right? Nothing that a huge enema in Olympia wouldn't fix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least. All right. Well, uh, that that's a pretty good uh, pretty good list. I was just trying to think. Of, uh, I didn't hear West Virginia. I didn't hear um, Kentucky. I didn't hear Indiana. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Marley, you've got a good list there, but, uh, would you mind uh, putting in the, uh, chat if, if you've got a, a copy and paste that you can, uh, put in the chat, the uh, states that are actually part of your program now, and that way, uh, we can yeah. compare it to, uh, all the states that are missing, obviously Alaska and another a uh, number of others are part of that. Oregon. Did you have Oregon? Oh, yeah, we list? have Alaska also. I forgot to put Alaska in here. Okay. See, that's the problem also. Is there's so much to do. We forget little. I mean, not that Alaska's little. Alaska's huge, but we forget stuff. So let me add yeah. Alaska. They're going to well, get mad at me when they hear this show, I'll tell you. And well, I deserve that. Murkowski, I, I, you know, frankly, anybody that would uh, supposedly elect Murkowski, and, and I say supposedly because we don't have elections anymore. We have selections, and the people that get selected are the ones that have the most political clout, and they're the ones that are trying to bury uh, the whole system. So it's time that we go from a, a country with uh, selections to a country with open and fair elections. Right. I actually, I have to push back on that a tiny bit. We don't know if we have elections or selections. The problem is neither does the board of elections. They don't know either. Nobody knows. That's the point of measuring the effect of the invalidity. You have a system with a 12% error rate and a 0.6% margin of victory. There is no human being alive who knows what happened in that election and can prove it. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know. We, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to make accusations. I don't want to say this person or that person wasn't the will of the people because I don't know. The problem is the people who certified those elections as accurate, as provably reflective of the intent of the voting public, mm -hmm. they were lying. Well, they that's don't know good, either. That, that, that's, a, that's a very, very valid point. This is something that uh, it isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. It's a fair election issue. And frankly, I detest both parties almost equally, even though I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a, a county officer in the Republican Party. I'm uh, a Ron Paul Republican, I guess I'd have to say. But uh, in any case, it's the future of our country. If we can't elect people, if we can't choose people, then uh, we don't have representative government. It's just that simple. And that's the first grand right. That's what America means. America means 
you have a natural right given to you by the one who made you to live according to your freedom of conscience, to live according to your grit and your wits. Yeah. And no government has the right to interfere with that. That's like the, the, the role of the federal government is to protect your natural right, not to stand in the way of you being able to fulfill your purpose or your potential as a human being, as a divine created being. That's right. And That's what unalienable it, rights are all about is yes. the fact that our, our rights come from God. They don't come from government. The government's role is to protect the rights we have from God. That's how the American system is supposed to operate. And if we don't have clean, clear, valid elections, we don't have government by consent, and we're not living in America. Mm -hmm. It's our job to make sure we're living in America. If we like America, if we want to be Americans, it's our job to make sure that's what we keep. Well, you're right. You're on the right program, that's for sure, to be saying what you're saying. Uh, Harry, I, I, don't, I didn't mean to uh, leave you out of that discussion, uh, but the fact is, is that um, we do have a responsibility to uh, protect, uh, protect the elections, irregardless of where somebody stands on a particular issue. And uh, I think... Uh, uh, you know, certainly in in uh, what 2012, I think it was that uh, Jimmy Carter and Baker and a number of people looked at uh, voting irregularities, and they spoke openly about the need to get rid of some of the programs that we had in place, including motor voter. Uh, and, and same day same day registration. Now this is Jimmy Carter. There couldn't have been a more liberal guy than him. I think he was probably one of the most inept people that ever served as president. But I think he was an extremely honest man. I don't think he was a crook like a lot of these guys are. But um, you know when same thing with um and i'm going to use th this was there was a film produced in uh, what 2017 or 2018 um amy kobachar and uh uh pocahontas and a number of the liberal democrats were the ones that were concerned about uh, the the fact that the elections were being stolen and it always ends up being the the case where they're only concerned when they're not the winners. You know, they're only concerned when they're the losers. When they're the winners, they don't care about election integrity. Harry, take it, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about, Marley has a great quote on this, so I, I, I'll, but I'll steal her thunder for a second. But integrity comes down to what you're willing to do in the dark when nobody's watching and <laughs> our aspiration for for our country was a place of integrity does that mean we've always done things perfectly no does it mean that we have all completely pure as the driven snow politicians absolutely not but if we don't aspire for something greater then we are no better than anybody else so so it's our aspirations that define the dream that makes America what it is. And, and 
you know, we all have our personal belief structures. We have our own personal politics. I imagine that every conservative that I've ever met, if I dug deep enough, we could find something that we emotionally disagreed with. And, and I also know that every liberal that I've ever disagreed with, I can find common ground with. If I just have an honest discussion where one party or the other isn't throwing something in my face that they don't themselves even understand either about me or about somebody else. And so the fact of the matter is our elections are designed to be a system where people can anonymously and freely indicate how they want to be governed. It's the whole dream that we, that we don't need a monarchy. We don't need an aristocracy. We don't need which are just the same as, as self-appointed elites, right? That's what the aristocracies all started as. The guy that won the final war, right? He becomes king and, and or queen, as the case may be. But the fact of the matter is that that's not the government system that we aspire to. It doesn't guarantee uh, the maximum level of freedom. And, and the fact of the matter is, if we just figure out how to out-cheat each other, we just cause further and further damage to the yeah. concept of democracy. When I hear conservatives saying, well, we just got to get out and, and do what they're doing better than they're doing. Uh, no, that's no. not the answer. We will completely lose our democracy if that's the course we take. We are still on the right side of, of freedom. I think that it's possible there's enough good people in government, enough good people in the bureaucracy, enough good people in judiciary, and we absolutely have enough good people in the country, people of goodwill that understand that I, you can't win by cheating. It's by definition not correct. The definition of winning is not cheating. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, when people said he cheated to win, no, he didn't. He cheated to defraud everybody that was watching the football game, or he cheated to defraud everybody of, of whatever was being counted. Our elections are no different. You know, we, we drum people out all the time. I mean, I, I, you know, we have baseball players that, that, you know, take anabolic steroids and they get home run records. And then pretty soon people find out about it and they throw them in the dustbin of history, right? The same should be happening with these politicians that are that are stealing our right to vote, or they are ignoring our right to vote because they think they know better. Elitism, by definition, almost always comes down to one thing. I'm smarter than you, therefore I self-appoint myself to be your guardian. And yeah, I, sh I deserve that chalet in, in Switzerland and the beachfront home on the Caribbean and, you know, the, because I'm smarter than you, it's only natural. Right. But this is what elitism is all about. It's not about, you know, uh, inalienable rights, the right of citizens to govern themselves and freely associate according to their own conscience. This was what the constitution was meant to endorse the ability of people to be free thinkers, free debaters and come together to decide how we're going to run our country. Right now we have people, you know, that, that think they're above it all, you know, and, and I don't care which example you use. It all comes down to uh, whether or not an educated populace has the ability to determine who's going to run the country. <laughs> and the, almost everything else flows from that. And we're hoping to restore that. If we don't restore it, 
we might as well find the most benign dictatorship to live under in the world and and move. So it's it's uh, and, and frankly, when you when you look at some of what's going on in the country, this I won't I won't classify our government as a dictatorship. I don't believe it is, but there's a lot of malfeasance and malicious actions by people of power that just shouldn't be tolerated. And the first and the worst is the fact that they, they are not allowing us to question the results of an election. Anymore. That's right. That's right. And they're not allowing us to audit the election to determine who actually won. They aren't allowing us to challenge the way that the election was conducted because somehow that's destabilizing. Who is it destabilizing to? I just always ask people this question. Mm -hmm. There's one other thing I would say. They always talk about, well, well, we have to certify by this date because it's a lot. No, you don't. Most people don't realize that Bush versus Gore took 45 days. Mm -hmm. How much of the mainstream media was talking about destabilization of the country in 2020 if we don't, if we don't follow this process? December 12th was not 45 days. December 15th was close to 45 days, but it wasn't something that we couldn't have done differently. We, we chose to ignore it. We chose to label anybody that was yelling and screaming about it as, you know, election deniers. The fact is we've got to get back on track. And the reason Marley and I both subscribe to the idea that let's not, let's not reach conclusions. We can have our beliefs, we can have our suspicions, but let's start with the evidence that we can prove and that we can prove in court and go after it according to the law. And, and the tool set's already there. And if, you know, if we get to the point where we can show them concrete data supplied by the opposition that indicates that they did something wrong and they still refuse to obey it, then we can start talking about yelling and screaming and and whatever that means, but it certainly shouldn't mean violence in a country built on goodwill. I mean, we've got to start realizing that our neighbors are liberals, they're they're conservatives, they're you know black, they're white, they're red, they're yellow. It it just doesn't make sense. A country with the aspirational goals and as far as we've come to throw our country away, and that's what we're about to do. Yeah, no, you're right, and. It's very, very important that we do understand uh, that everybody has the right to fair and open elections. And I, I, I have to tell you, I, I talk about this, but I was raised uh, in a family of uh, progressive socialists. And I don't personally believe that, but I do know a lot of those people in that, uh, in that family, very well-meaning, very good people, they just had a different perspective than I did. And uh, all I can say is I doubt that any of them would want a, an, a dishonest election, even if they profited from it. I, I, at least I hope not. Marley, um, I, I want to give you the last segment here to talk about uh, your group, unitedforfreedom.com. Uh, and United so Soviet uh, Sovereign Americans, uh, <laughs> sovereign. I didn't say Soviet; said sovereign. <laughs> and um, I also want to talk about where the lawsuit process is right now, and uh, you know where you're at in the federal court system and so forth. 
Sure. Uh, United Sovereign Americans now represents hundreds and hundreds of people across the country who are working on these investigations and um, learning how to conduct ourselves as uh, credible and qualified investigators and operating within uh, evidentiary bounds. And I couldn't be more proud of this team and this effort and uh, the people that we get to meet. And I have to say that if you uh, feel lonely with your beliefs, if you join United Sovereign Americans and you're willing to work hard, you will be in the company of some of the finest American citizens you could ever encounter. And it would be difficult to find them anywhere else at this point because they're working all the time on the mission. So that's our team. And again, you can join that team by going to unite4freedom.com and signing up to volunteer. You can also just sign up to stay informed. Every Tuesday night, we have an open call, a video conference call, studying and actually reading federal election law otherwise known as federal civil rights law, reading aloud from Supreme Court precedents and opinions that um, that have to do with election validity and reading the federal prosecution of election offenses guidelines, because this information is so clarifying and so valuable that uh, we that's what we do every Tuesday night at United Sovereign Americans. We have an open forum for the people at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. So if you want to be on that call, you just go to Unite Number 4 Freedom and you just hit Stay Informed and you'll get the email stay and the informed. link every week. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I will do that. And where we stand uh, with our litigation process, what we're doing is we're we're writing a template because all the states are organizing their evidence according to the same four questions and according to the same principles of law. So we're writing a federal uh, court template that everyone is going to use more or less in the same fashion, although there may be some slight variations when states have particular evidence that merits, uh, merits being added to the template. Um, and the goal is basically not to do this as you know, one state or another state. This is not a Maryland effort. It's not a Massachusetts effort. It's not a Montana effort. It's a national template where each state files the same lawsuit with their particular data. What we hope to create by doing this is a circumstance where we have, uh, actually we anticipate a minimum of nine federal circuits being covered by our litigation. Mm -hmm. And what we hope to accomplish, if we end up with conflicting rulings, we have a diversity of opinion across federal circuits. We hope to force this matter to the United States Supreme Court as an emergency TRO litigation. So this is not a, an, a, a litigation process that can be dragged out for years. And our template focuses on the simple and clear elements under the law so that it doesn't have to take years to adjudicate. It's just simple, it's clear, you know, here's the law, here's the data. You tell me that it adds up or you tell me that they can't use this system in 2024 as it is. It's gotta be polished up, it's gotta follow the law in 2024. And if they can't get the system up to the standard of the law, then they better come up with something that meets the standard. Um, and so, 
we hope to get that and we anticipate getting it in front of the Supreme Court before the 2024 election. That means that we need help in many of these states. We do still need attorneys in many states. We have attorneys in about 10 of our states right now that are starting to familiarize themselves with the template and get ready for this process and familiarize themselves with our reporting of data. And so we do still need uh, attorneys in a bunch of these states. And if you're an attorney and you're maybe you're not sure if you actually want to represent the effort, but you'd like to come in and lend a hand, that's okay too. Sign up at Unite for Freedom. Let us know that you want to be a part of this process and you have experience and skills and wisdom to add to make it even stronger than it is today. So that's March. Mm -hmm. That's our target. We plan, we, we hope to file them sooner. In fact, we hope to have a bunch of them filed already, but that's just how the cookie crumbles some days. It takes longer than you wish it would. We all want it fixed now. <laughs> But this is honestly, it's a pretty complicated effort. So it's taken a little longer than we were hoping, but we're making excellent progress and, and we need, the, the only other thing we really need right now is if it's not an attorney, we need cash. We need money because as it turns out, filing litigation in 23 states simultaneously is a little expensive. And, uh, you know, I can understand why attorneys might not want to sign on knowing that we can definitely fund them uh, all the way through. So please, if you can't volunteer or you don't have a skill set to bring in at this time, go ahead and, and bring us, a you know, your offering and help to support the effort with your abundance so that we can make sure all this litigation does hit the courts in time. I just put put a note in there. Uh, National Liberty Alliance, uh, they have a show on the Patriot Soapbox here every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, adjust for your time zone. And uh, if you're familiar with John, I have so many of our listeners say, if these different groups like yours and John's and, and these other groups can find a way to work together, I realize sometimes that's like hurting 100 cats, uh, but we can work together on a lot of these things and bring people together. Dan's show is called Connecting the Dots. You're a dot, they're a dot, here's a dot, there's a dot. Get them all connected, talking with each other and and find the, the, the weaknesses and the strengths from the different groups. Because one thing I've noticed in this whole thing for the past uh, six years I've been doing these shows is that, like you said, some people have particular skills and and others have other skills if you can find the right people that have those skills and have that desire and have that motivation because that's what the left has done to us mm -hmm. you know they they've employed a plumber that fits their agenda to do their plumbing and we need to react in the same way we need to find those those plumbers that are good at whatever they do and and you know, turn them loose is yeah. really what you do. Well, Thumper, uh, we, we talk about that quite a bit uh, between us, but the problem is that the, and I'm going to use liberal conservative as a term, the, the problem is that the liberals can agree on 20% and disagree on 80%, and somehow they come together to get the 20% 
maybe up to 21%. And uh, conservatives on the other side of that coin can agree on 80% and disagree on 20%. And all we want to do is squabble over the 20% we don't uh, don't agree on because after all, we, we, uh, we, we've got to be right every well, time. Well, strong leadership helps <laughs> in fixing that problem. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Well, Marley, Harry, thank you so much. This has been a terrific program, and hopefully you'll be hearing from a few people that will be interested in joining your group. Uh, certainly you'll be hearing from me. I'm, I'm going to uh, try to catch uh, some of your uh, Tuesday night programs. I do podcasts almost all day long on Tuesday, but um, you're late enough that I could just uh, sign in right after one of my podcasts. So uh, I'll try to join on uh, on Tuesday night. But thank you both for being who you are, doing what you're doing. And this is the important thing, United Sovereign Americans and UniteForFreedom.com. So check out this group and thank you again for being our guest. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt, I love this land.